Today's edition of the podcast is brought to you by CoachMe Plus. CoachMe Plus is the leader in athlete management software and a product that I've been lucky enough to be using for a little over a year now. Only rivaled by the impeccable customer service that Kevin and his staff provides, CoachMe Plus's ability to constantly be amoeba-like in their ability to mold and, and matriculate what you're trying to get across and bring together is, is absolutely fantastic. Their constant pursuit of better ways and better methods and, and innovations and progress to their own product is absolutely fantastic. Go over to CoachMePlus.com, check out what they got, guys. It's, uh, it's something that I guarantee you won't be disappointed with. Today's edition of the podcast is going to be a little different than the ones we've had of late, and that's going to be t- uh, my presentation from this weekend's Juniata Strength and Conditioning Clinic. Um, and since I was told by Marty that I need to hurry these up, these introductions up, that's exactly what I'm going to do. So guys, we're going to get right to it. Uh, in the presentation, I talk about where training is going and where I see it going with us, my thoughts on periodization, my thoughts on what our goals should be with our student-athletes, and we get into a little bit of monitoring. Um, so yeah, Marty, I hope this is quick enough for you, buddy, and let's get right to the talk, guys. I hope you enjoy it. This is going to be this week's podcast, so don't feel like you have to take notes. Feel like we're trying to have a discussion. What we're going to talk about here for the next, hopefully, about half an hour, 40 minutes, is just what 21st century programming actually is, what we're doing now in this crazy modern world when it comes to building athletes, or or more importantly, how we see what we do at the U of R and and moving forward with our kids. Um, And and for those of you who don't know, predominantly we're talking Olympic sport athletes. Um, This could trickle down into men's basketball. We'll see. Um, The old adage that basketball never stops is true, so there's even less time to train kids and actually really focus on just development um, than there is with the Olympic sports. But we can get into all that, you know, later when we get to the end. So what exactly are we talking about when we're talking about programming? You know, what, what does that mean to you versus what does that mean to me? And to me, when we're talking programming, what I think we really need to talk about is what we say we actually do, right? So... The first thing that everybody says is, you know, the first thing we do, we talk about what we do here in the weight room, is we do no harm. Thanks. I mean, seriously. Like, you didn't sit there and say, hey, pull out the Atlas Stones and let's do an overhead squat on top of that thing on one leg. Like, you need to sit there and tell people that the first thing that you're going to do in the weight room is not hurt your kids? No shit. Like, can we move on to what's important? Like, can we get past that? Please. Because that just, that grinds my gears. I can't stand hearing that. Because if, in all honesty, if you're thinking, man, I'm going to beat these kids up and I'm going to see who breaks today. Like, what? Come on, man. Like, we're better than that. That's why the, the reputation we get as a profession we have is being a bunch of meatheads that scream and yell and cuss at kids all the time. Because we, and then we have to turn around and say that. So let's please move forward past that, right? I don't think anybody in this room has ever said, I'm going to squat Mike Rankin until his back snaps today. What? Come on. Injury prevention. It's cool. 
It's nice to say, you know, do we actually do it? If you say that our primary goal is injury prevention, then what happens when you get hurt? Right? Like, what does that kid now think? Like, all we're trying to do is prevent injury. Or is this actually just a byproduct of the training, of what we're actually trying to do? Can we sit there and now just say that, yeah, like, when you train and you get bigger and faster and stronger and more mobile and all these things, it can help decrease your risks of injury. It's not necessarily our primary focus, but it's something that comes with the territory. And, you know, piggybacking off Alan this morning, talking about return to play protocols. And this is something that, like, in the last 12 months, uh, I've really started to take a bigger stand with because we have a lot of things that we like to do but we have a lot of things that we don't do that I think we should be doing. The primary example of that, when you're talking about people coming back from injury, hardly ever, and Jerry hit on this yesterday, hardly ever do we talk about movement technique. You know, I mean, it's no secret that Dr. Yeses has had a huge impact on me professionally. A biomechanist, special exercises, all those things, you know, carry into this. But how many of your kids, after they blow a knee, you know, they have the, the awful scenario that they blow a knee out. How many of them come back and in their rehab, they actually get taught how to cut at 90 degrees again? Like, wouldn't you just think, like, if you took a step back and you're like, all right, so let's look at this big picture, right? Jerry, what were the numbers? It was two degrees of rotation, right? And it pops? Okay. So if, if, if we're cutting and the mechanics are wrong or something goes wrong, and pop it goes, why aren't you going to teach that kid how to do it right when they come back? I know it really sounds simple, but we really don't do it that much. We get into drills, and I think it was uh, Boo who said, like, everybody wants to worry about drills, drills, drills. You get drills at aisle six of Lowe's. We need to start looking more at technique and how we move to get these things to go better. And again, bigger, faster, stronger, fitter. Again, are these just byproducts of what we're trying to do, which is develop athletes? And at the end of the day, what is actually in the center of what you're trying to do? And I think that that's really what's the most important question. Where do I see us going as a profession, other than putting a lot more words on the same slide, is being more progressive with what we do. Okay, and I know that there are situations and scenarios where this is very difficult, where it's very difficult to say, we have benchmarks where you have to get A before you go to B, and you got to get to B before you get to C. We're going to go through where we see it going, and hopefully we're going to tear it apart. I'd, I'd love it if I walked out of here with a completely different plan, but we're going to go through and look at it and, and talk about it. Minimal dose, such a sexy term right now. Everybody's looking for the minimal effective dose. But when we're looking at it, really, is give them as much as they need, not as much as they can handle. Hank Krasenhoff's famous for saying that. If you've, if you've heard me talk before, you know the whole thing about cold meds. You'd never give somebody chemo for a cold, right? So why are we going to sit here and have a freshman field hockey player doing velocity-based training? Like It just doesn't seem like that would be in the kid's best interest unless she came in as an absolute freak show, right? I mean, then it's, we're talking apples and oranges here. But why are you putting kids in situations where they're so 
intensified early on that only bad things could end out happening. And what are we in this huge rush for, right? Very few kids end out being successful as one and dones, right? So unless you're dealing like with this new grad transfer rule, which could be a, an hour-long discussion in and of itself, you have four years to work with a kid, right? Why are we ever in a hurry to not make sure that they're in the proper position to be able to move on to more advanced work? And again, if you've ever heard me talk, I think that everything you do has to be performance-based. I think that's our job. Okay, so what are the common characteristics of the actual sporting exercise that you need to train, right? And then on top of that, what are the common elements of that that cross all sports, cutting, sprinting, jumping, things like that. You know, Ethan Reeve talks about, all, talks about it all the time, how you need to make them better athletes, which is why he gets into the gymnastics and the handstands and things like that. And then, of course, you know, the, the happy term of dynamic correspondence, which kind of gets bastardized quite a bit, but really we're just looking. Are you moving the joints the way they show up in the sport at the same angles, the same velocities, using the same contractions, that's what's important, right? That's, that's the carryover. That's what shows up on the field. So when you tie these things together, right, if you're moving in a progressive manner at the minimal dose, we could call this stress management, right? If you're not able to handle the load and you're not prepared to handle the load, we don't increase the load. If it's test time, midterms, and your kid's brains are all over the place, they're walking around like zombies, they need drool cups because they haven't slept in three days, it's probably not the best time to hit a max vert or to hit a max clean or to do anything really heavy, right? We know that. But just because it's on the paper or four months ago when we wrote our plan, we sit there and we say, well, you know what? Today it's 95% for four triples go. Let's see what we got. When you look at your minimal dose and you're looking at performance training, then we're getting into durability, right? Because the more you can handle, the more you load, the more stress you can have put upon you, the more durable you are. And then if it's progressive and it's performance-based, so improving special exercises, you know, Alan was talking about stiffness and tension and all those things. So looking at um, extensive short coupling jumping where you're bouncing, okay, that's not a plyometric. There's a name for it. That Verkashansky guy came up with it. Extensive short coupling jumps. Ankle bounces, bounds. Box jumps where you're just bouncing on and off. Where you develop these contractile elements and you're working not just with the stiffness of the muscle, but the ability of the tendon to be the mover, which really is what we want, right? You, when you're quick, you're doing things like that. You're doing things, we're talking paw back, knee drive, lunging exercises, cutting technique work, where you're looking at those things. If you can move faster through a greater range of motion, stronger, with more force, whatever you want to call it, to what you're doing, sounds to me like that's a pretty good recipe for prehab. 
which I don't know if that's even a word. You know, I don't think prehab will ever make it to, to D.C. for the spelling bee, but it's, uh, it's what we're looking at, right? And then in the middle of all of that has to be what's best for that individual athlete. And you know what? If you're sitting there being like, yeah, sure, Jay, that's easy. You got 15 guys. You're right. I got a room right now of eight cats. I've got me, I've got a full-time assistant, and I've got a couple of interns that I could at least have run around and set up stuff. You're right. It's a different situation, and I'm lucky. But that's the same stuff I do for the swimmers, and there's 28 of them. So you need to be able to look at it and do the best you can with making sure that the athlete is the center of all of the models that you're using. So then the next thing that we need to talk about, right, is the needs analysis, because this is something that gets thrown in our face early on. And I think that early in our careers, you know, when we were in grad school or when you were about to take your CSCS, this was like the hip thing to do. You know, like you'd show up at practice and you'd like watch the kids move and do all this stuff and try to implement things that mattered. But I think that this is something, and I'm just as guilty as anybody, that takes a back seat. And we need to be better at this. So we need to look at the sport in general, right? What are the specific characteristics that transfer across all games? Again, we just talked about it, cutting and those things. You've got to know the specifics to the position that they play. You know, how we play basketball is different than how Drexel plays, is different than how Robert Morris plays. So my foreman, what he does, if we even have one, is different than Hammer and Mike. But you have to understand how those things show up, what they're responsible for in the game, how they're supposed to move in a game, how much room they cover, how much distance they cover, how fit they need to be, so that you can actually train the kid to be better at what he's supposed to be, and that's be your power forward. And then you gotta know the athlete, right? You're never gonna make a donkey a racehorse. Hank said that. I mean, you can take him to, to the Belmont Stakes, but you're not going to win any money with it. Injury history, strengths, elasticity, speed, quickness, all these things. And then we can get into the entire talk of, is our goal to make them better at what they're really good at? Or to pick up the things that they suck at? Because I'm, I'm leaning more towards the prior than the latter. Unless, of course, it's going to put the kid in a bad spot, right? Like it could hurt the kid. But if you've got, you know, if we just look at jumping as the example, if you have a kid that bounces well versus like a pusher, you guys know what I mean by that? Anybody? Do you understand what a pusher versus a bouncer is? No or yes? Okay. Well, why would you train a bouncer to be a pusher? You know what I'm saying? Are you wasting time trying to make them what they're not as opposed to making them better at what they are? There's a reason they are where they are, right? Like they're, they're good at their sport and the characteristics that they possess as an athlete are what make them good at their sport. But is what they're good at, is that the limiting factor or is that what you should drive? I'm not giving you the answer. I'm just asking you that question because I think that that needs to be thought of with every kid that you look at. You know, what are we actually doing? Are we trying to make Eric better at what Eric is, or are we trying to pick up the things that he is not as good at in order for him 
to become better. So looking at the athlete, right? So you got a basketball player. What do you know? You know that they need to have a really high level of aerobic fitness, contrary to popular belief. They need to be quick. They need to be able to change direction. They need to be agile. You know that most of them have tight ankles, right? The whole moon brutes and ankle braces thing. We've had that talk a billion times. And most of them have poor mobility and poor flexibility. If you're talking about a stretch four, the guy's probably not a banger, right? Wants to sit outside the perimeter. He wants to chuck shots. When he gets hot, he gives you 30. When he's not, he gets a seat. He's going to guard smaller players probably because he doesn't like to bang. So he's got to be able to move well. But he's still got to go get your boards, right? He's going to be the second biggest guy on the floor. He's got to get your rebounds. And then let's talk about just a random guy that we have on the team, right? Super long limbs. Super duper long limbs. But the, the cat is the most immobile, stiff dude you'll ever see. An elastic jumper and cutter, okay? But he doesn't cover enough ground. So he can bounce all day and he can bounce high. And he can bounce to cover distance, but he doesn't have the mobility to open up and make those distances as big as they should be. Uh, he's definitely more of a monster truck than a Prius. Okay, doesn't have a lot of fuel in the tank. He can't go for a long time. But he's a guy that lives off of confidence. So he's a shooter, right? And shooters are weird. You see one go in, you feel great, you might make the next 10. You clank a brick, you might not make one for a week. Training age is probably two years. Transfer kid. Kind of did some stuff before. Kind of didn't. At least not how we do it. And then there always seems to be a little outside situation for him. So there's always some sort of external stressor that we have to worry about. So how do you handle this athlete? Right? These are things that we need to look at more to make sure that we're prescribing the best thing for each kid. All right, so now I want to go on a little rant. Let's talk about periodization a little bit, okay? This is, this is something that is, it's, it's just overlooked, but all these things need to be accounted for. The first and foremost, and if you guys listen to the podcast at all, you will have heard a few weeks ago I had Andrew Althoff and the guys at Baylor on and we were talking about just this, right? Like we get into situations where we talk about periodization, but then you get into it, it's like the most important thing these kids do, right? The biggest amount of their training load has to come from the first thing. As much as we would love for them to be professional weightlifters, or strength and conditioning athletes, they're not. So when your soccer coach says, I need a periodized plan where the third week you need to deload, and they kick the shit out of them at practice, what in the hell did you deload for? Because the biggest stressor is still the biggest stressor. Like that's where people look and they take Vladimir's work, right? The block periodization. And they look at it and they're like, oh, we need the accumulation phase and this and that and the other thing. But at the end of the day, the, the reason that that works with the athletes that Dr. Isseran works with are because he's in charge of everything. 
Hank Krasenhoff's in charge of everything. So when they say we need a drop to deload to taper, it's not just we're squatting doubles instead of sixes. It's we're only running 200s as opposed to 800s. So if practice isn't being brought down as well, all you're doing is you're kind of like you're not actually deloading. You're unloading a little bit in the weight room, but you haven't really changed the stress put on the athlete. You have to start taking into account the academic calendar. This is probably the only thing that I will ever be cut and dry. You have to do this about. Because Dr. Mann just recently, the study was what, about a year ago. They have a greater risk of getting injured during times of high academic stress than they do when they're in two days. So why are you going to kick the crap out of them in the weight room? Or why are you not going to talk to your sport coaches about when these times come up to help protect these kids? And then the end of it is training, right? Like really the, most, the least important thing that we do, like they're student athletes, not student lifters, this all needs to piggyback everything the sport coach wants you to do, what their vision is. So this is where we're going, I think, right now. We'll talk at the end. Hopefully this is a new slide when we're done. Year one, two, three, four is obviously hypothetical. If a kid is able to hit benchmarks, we move on. I think the big thing, again, most of you know, if you've been around me, that Dr. Yesis has had a huge impact on what I do. So a lot of people know me and, and the guys I'm with for following the one-step protocol. Um, I truly believe that's now step two. You know, when we watch our guys try to get in positions, general gymnastic-type positions, it's awful. We all talk about how kids can't bend, you know, how they're not flexible enough, they aren't mobile enough, and, and developing a, a minimal dose idea well, why don't we teach them these things and build these patterns and these abilities to move and, and hold positions and whatever it may be before we load them? We talk about how we do it a lot. I don't think we do it well enough. I don't. Flat out, I don't. So when we look at the gymnastics stuff, this idea came to me listening to the Tim Ferriss show. He had uh, Coach Summers on couple weeks back who I believe coached uh, he was a gymnastics coach in the Olympics he's talking about many things that follow Dr. Yesis's principles so it really fits in well with what we're doing so I went out and started trying their stuff and um, to be blunt I suck at it so we're, we're trying to build a program starting with some of these things adding a lot of bodyweight stuff with it and then getting into to implements like kettlebells. I think people don't understand how to hip hinge. I think it's a great tool to teach it. People don't understand really how to squat well. You know, and the, the whole deceleration position that Jerry got into yesterday. I think the goblet squat like Dan John talks about is 
one of the best tools to teach it. You can do it with two hands, one hand, offset, overhead, carries, rows, push-ups, TRX, whatever it is. Build these general, simple bodyweight strength exercises, and then we move into the 1 by 20 following Doc and Natalia's protocols. The reason I think that'll work well too is we've had very good success with the second, but I think we would have greater success if we were more prepared to start the prepared, the general prep work. You know, you, once you lay a big rock, you can only fill sand around it, right? So can we lay more stones to build a bigger base with these kids so we can build on it longer? Year three, where we're at now, two to three sets of stuff. Start teaching pulls, start teaching presses. Yes, we are doing some Olympic variants now. And the kids are better at it now because they have a better strength base than when we would start doing it right away. I don't know, maybe it's just the group or maybe it's just something that makes sense to me, right? Like, you have to be strong to be good at weightlifting. So when my freshmen come in, you know, and... 135 hits their chest like a brick in the water. Are we really ready to start thinking about doing explosive barbell lifting? Or do we need to build a strength base first for that to have a greater impact on what they're doing? And then year four, I put VBT up there because Dr. Mann is someone that's helping out quite a bit with this. Uh, it could be VBT, it could be triphasic, it could be whatever. I think the velocity-based stuff is, is, is our fourth step, though, because just thinking about the direction we're moving, we're going from body weight, implement, more intensity, more intensity, right? We can come back and talk about that later. Energy system development. Ooh, another sexy term, right? Um, we still don't know where we're going with this, mostly because right now we don't run basketball. So I'm not 100% sure, but I do still think that the primary factor that needs to be accounted for first is resting heart rate. If the resting heart rate isn't below 60 and they don't have a good enough general fitness base, anything over what uh, people would typically call cardiac output work, whether it really does cardiac output work or not, is another conversation for another day. Low heart rate, long distance work for most field sport athletes, it's probably the most important thing. If you don't have a general fitness base, why are you doing a ton of tempo? You're not going to recover from it. Build the aerobic base and work your way out. And then the grand poobah of them all, right? Monitoring. And this is more about my mistakes and where I would have fixed it. You know, if, if anything gets people going nowadays, it's monitoring because everyone thinks that you get all these toys and it's like you're driving a space shuttle, man. You've got an Omega Wave or you've got First Beat or Catapult or whatever it is and it's like you're going to be able to do all this crazy stuff, man. You're going to Mars. You're slingshotting around the Earth. You're going out to Mars. You're picking up Matt Damon and you're coming back. 
Yeah, it's, it's really more like you should be riding with training wheels when you start. Okay? I was, I was 100% this guy. 100%. I thought we were flying. We were going to the moon, man. And we went too far, too fast. And we should have pumped the brakes real quick. Because when you get all these things, as a lot of you are now starting to learn, there is a ton of information. Now, if I knew then what I know now, we'd be a thousand times better off. But backing up, I think, and Kevin Davidovitz of Coach Me Plus has said this a billion times, if you can't weigh your kids in every day, you should not add anything else to your program. The amount of information you can get just by weighing your kids in every day is, is immense. You can actually track that versus performance. Handy at George Mason uh, has talked about this. Like when Paul Hewitt was there, they tracked body weights versus where the kids played their best, and that's where we're going to keep you. I mean, pretty simple, right? Like, especially with basketball. If you're too heavy, you're not going to move too quick. If you're too light, you're going to get chucked around. So if we put you right in your happy medium and you play better, why are we messing around going the other way? Hydration, right? Especially football guys, you know all about this. But, you know, if you've ever been to a basketball practice, you know, that are really short in duration, probably a moderate intensity, I mean, these kids, they're walking out, ringing stuff out. You know, what are we doing to make sure that they're ready to go the next day? We've seen kids drop two pounds, three pounds in a practice. What are you doing to make sure that you're helping the kid be ready for tomorrow? And now you can start having conversations because of the numbers. And that's the biggest thing, and that was the biggest limiter that I had, okay, is the inability to, to kind of share the information the right way. And this, you can, anybody can do this, right? You don't need anything to start this. You need a pen and a piece of paper. If you use Excel, great. All you got to do is write it down and then put it in your computer. But every, every weight room in America has a scale. Our next step would be questionnaires because they're super cheap and they're super easy and they're completely reliable, right? You can get a ton of info from them. You can look at RPE and you can get strain versus monotony of everything you're doing. And all that is just simple equations. You can find that online right away. Personally, if I were to do it all again, I would only start with sleep and soreness. Because as soon as you start getting into asking them other questions, if you're implementing other technologies, there may be conflicting thoughts. Like you may not feel great, but you're ready to adapt to a lot of stress. Or you may feel great, but you're not ready to adapt to a lot of stress, which then brings us to Omega Wave, which is like the grand poobah to me when it comes to athlete monitoring. For a multitude of reasons, the first being we've caught two kids with cardiac issues with the tech. So right then and there, it's paid, it's paid for itself. But the second being you're able to look at things and move in a direction, but know that this thing is not a deity. You can always move one way or the other. And people have the issue where they think, Omega Wave is telling me that if my CNS is yellow, I'm not able to jump today. 
Well, everybody on Instagram has seen the kid that we had go 45-5 last year. His CNS was at a minus two. Popped off a five-inch PR. Doesn't mean you're not able to do it. It means if you do it, you're going to have to pay for it later. You're paying with your credit card, not with your debit card. And you just got to know that as a coach. And then looking at player load monitoring, obviously, when you're looking at catapult, polar, first beat, whatever it may be, just know these are things you could probably that is the one you could start with early, but you have to know that whatever else you add in is going to put an impact on whatever you're doing with that. Okay, so let's go through it. I'm sure that I missed the boat on a couple things. So, questions, thoughts, comments, criticisms. This is an open, open room. If it, there's something that you saw on there that you either don't understand or don't agree with, I would love to sit here and talk about it. Yes, sir. I would say if you ever got possession of any sort of athlete readiness monitoring technology, the first thing that you need to do is nothing. You need to normalize everything. And once you do that, you can make decisions. If you're looking at just the central nervous system, I don't think you need to normalize it because you're either positive or negative. But when you're looking at some HRV things, there are some personality type things that can contribute to that. So if you're just a, you know, a type B person, you tend to be more parasympathetic. It doesn't mean that your score when your HRV is high necessarily means that you're not able to handle a high volume of aerobic work. It could mean you are who you are. You would have to go through and do the long test through the computer just to make sure of that, though. But no, it's, the other thing that I would, I would say is you're going to do something early on, and it's going to, quote, fix things, and you're going to do it again, and you're going to think you're the dumbest person on the planet because it's not going to work. You've got to pump your brakes a lot with it. There's a lot of learning that goes on. Yes, sir. Two minutes. You can do the you can do the long test whenever you want, um, which is seven minutes. But yeah, that's that's up to you. Yes, sir, coach. Uh, the last one was a grade one AV block, so it wasn't really ending out being dramatic. Um, it was not caught in the pre-screening physical, but since then we have now gone and every student athlete coming in gets a full G. So it's changed. I think there's a multitude of things that have changed that particular, um, way we handle things at the institution. But I mean, it, after we found it, I mean, now 
the technology in and of itself does not say this individual has X. It says this individual needs to see a physician. So it showed up like three, four, five days in a row. And I kept going to our athletic trainer. I'm like, he's not doing anything with me until you take him to the doctor. And then they looked at it and actually our, our general practitioner wanted uh, to have everyone do it. Um, to set up and, and run an Omega Wave test in their physical, but they decided they're just going to go and do this instead, which I'm fine with. Anything else? Yes, sir. Well, we're not doing it with basketball right now because all they want is for them to hypertrophy. We're still practicing. They're still playing. We're just not doing any fitness work. Um, I think that when we're talking aerobic work, if they've already passed having a 60 beat per minute sub-60 resting heart rate, and you're running tempos, or you're to a point where you're running five-second hill sprints, or whatever, uh, I think your conditioning is 5% of the factor, and your kitchening is 95% of the factor. I think you need to worry about that way more than this, because even if they need to get bigger, which is great, which is fun, which is the, the stuff we love. If they can't run a 110 or a 40 or hit a few hill sprints for five seconds, who cares? You can get bigger and you can run. Ben Johnson was a big mf'er man, and he was fast as hell. And he, could, he ran tempo all the time. And everybody in that race was on drugs, so I don't want to hear that. Anything else? I mean, seriously, like, I would be more than willing to, like, rip this all apart and start over. Okay, cool. Yes, sir. So, how is, um, I know you and me discussed it. This is where we plan on going. Yeah. How would he, uh, I'm sure you have different ways to get rid of it, but how do you think he or a tough coach would be about saying year one run and five seconds? We're working on that, and that's a great question. His biggest concern, honestly, was the fact that he doesn't know if because we're not, quote, lifting a lot, are they going to come in and get pushed around? We're going to get stronger. We're go and we might actually get similar strength gains, right, as we would in the initial 1 by 20, because all you're doing is really learning how to lift in the beginning, right? So I guess that the way I'm looking at it, and feel free to call bullshit on this, but this is legitimately how I'm looking at it, is no matter what, you're going to go from point A to point B initially, right? Just because they're starting to do something. Wouldn't we want that something to be the simplest, smallest load, just general type movement, body weight, whatever, if we're just going to get a specific adaptation anyway, and add on to it more and more and more as we go. Are we just going to sacrifice four years 
So an 18 or 19 year old kid can play six minutes instead of four. Do you understand what I'm saying? Like, again, we don't, we don't have kids leave early. Good, bad, or indifferent. If they leave early, they, they're probably not going to be a Division I basketball player. So if we take, and it's push-ups and variations of, squats with implements, one arm, overhead, swings, one arm, moving, carries, inverted rows, pull-ups, dips, they're going to get stronger. Lunges, step-ups, things like that. So I don't know if that if his concern is actually something to be concerned about or not. Only time will tell. But I think that if you take a step back, again, and you look at it from like 15,000 feet, that that base stuff with the simplest stuff, and you just keep adding complexity, implements, intensity, speed, it just, to me, sounds like it makes sense. Does it? I mean, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I'm good at convincing myself stuff. Yes, sir. I, I don't work in football just because I don't know. Um, I think every D-line coach in America is going to say, that kid can't bend. Now, are you going to have to do different things? Yes. Could some of this stuff be implemented in your redshirt program? Why not? I mean, let's be honest. If you're just doing gymnastic stuff and stretching and holding positions and getting into these things in your warm-up, could that have a little more bang for your buck helping your kids down the road? You know? And, and all, all along, for the most part, you're teaching your redshirt kids what? How to work and how to lift, right, for the most part? I don't see why that couldn't work in. I know football teams have had good success with the 1 by 20. Um, but I, I don't know, personally, never working with football, if I give you a response to that, it would be ignorant at best. But that's just where I could see it, possibly. No, no worries. Yes. What about the kids that uh, come in that have a lot of training years and have good experience and they're good? You move them faster. You move them through faster. You know? Like, if they can do this stuff, let them go, right? Like, if you've got a kid whose resting heart rate's 48 and he can hold all these positions and he can squat well and they move through the progressions fast, great! Awesome! but you need to be able to, to see it first, you know? Like, I mean, how many kids come in and they, they've run a 4 5 40, you can squat 405? You know? I mean, it's... Yes, sir? I was getting back to uh, Ben Johnson. Uh, the tempo runs. Charlie Francis' tempo runs were different tempo runs than they would use for, like, a, a distance runner. Am I right? Is that what you were... Oh, yeah, yeah. You were that type of tempo. No, yeah, 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 yeah. Charlie's... Type of stuff, yeah. No, not like, yeah. This we're Charlie Francis, not Steve Magnus. Yes. Yeah, that's what you would use for. Right. Yeah. 
Yes, sir. Um, Cliff Notes version. Parasympathetic, cut volume. Sympathetic, uh, push it way aerobic. Low CNS, cut intensity. Um, other than that, it's filling it out. High resting heart rate, conditioning day, automatically goes to cure. We can get into nutritional stuff too with that, but that's... We need beers for that one. It's 12 o'clock. We could have one. That's actually um, Tim Russbason, one of my former assistants, is he works for Omega Wave. Um, that's all in the, the interview I did with him two weeks ago. If you follow them on social media, you could, you could dig that up. I actually just put a chart that, that has all that information on it. And that's just what I did. I don't... I don't know if it was wrong or right. It seemed to do okay. Anybody else? Um, well, thank you guys. Uh, and for just looking forward, if you have any questions, um, cvasps at gmail.com. That's the business account. Uh, and you'll get answers from probably me or more people. Um, follow us on Twitter, please. And... Uh, Snow every Monday. We have a weekly podcast that comes out. Hopefully, a couple people are taking something from it. It's uh, it's a lot of fun for me. We have a newsletter there that I absolutely suck at sending out, but if you want to sign up for it, more power to you. Uh, that's my website, and just know that if you're ever looking for anything that has anything to do with the symposium that we hold, July 15th and 16th of this year, uh, just search the hashtag the seminar. And if you're ever bored when you're eating lunch. If you search the hashtag learning at lunch, uh, every day we put one of the videos up from the podcast. So when you're sitting there eating, you'll have something to go by with it. So thank you guys for, uh, as Gary Vee would say, spending your most important resource and that's your time with me today. I really do appreciate it. Uh, I hope that you guys could take something from this as well. Thank you very much. Huge thanks to Doug and Nikki and everybody involved at the Juniata College Strength and Conditioning Clinic. One, for putting on a great event, as always, and two, for letting me share this with everybody. Guys, if you enjoyed the talk, please share it through the social media outlet of your choice. Any thoughts or comments, leave them below. It's, uh, we wanted to open it for discussion out there, and we want to open it for discussion here. Uh, so, yeah, Marty, we're going to keep it quick again. Guys, hope you enjoyed it. Again, if you did, please share it. Otherwise, we'll be back next week with another awesome guest. We will see you then.